This podcast was recorded on Thursday, June 1st at 11 a.m. Jakarta time. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Enjoy the program. This is Reformacy Dispatch. I am Jeff Hutton, original correspondent for The Straits Times, Singapore. And I'm Kevin O'Rourke, writer of the Reformacy Weekly Report on Indonesian politics and policymaking. Kevin, hello. It's good to hear you, hear your Greetings. voice again. I've been told of a fantastic podcast studio in Bali here, not too far away in, in Kurobokan. So I don't know. It might uh, might be moving into yeah. some new digs. Uh, oh. I'm more uh, propping a, a microphone up on my belly under the air conditioner. Hmm. <laughs> Ah, uh, it's uh, it's good. it's going to be uh, first class all the way through. Um, what do we got today? We got uh, we got Gibran playing uh, both ends against the middle. We yeah. got um, kind of a dick move on on a rooftop solar panels. We we can say dick move, I think, can't we? Um, and <laughs> last but not least, did you want to talk about BTS? Uh, not the Korean pop band, but uh, the uh, no, I meant uh, the Korean pop yeah, band. Yeah, the other one. Yeah. There's another PTS? Oh, all right. Yeah, it's the uh, uh, Telecom Tower Expansion Program of the Information Ministry, which is uh, threatening to embroil pretty much everybody. So, absolutely. All right. Okay, Gibran. He got allies. The KPK, the KPK, the KPK story, too. Uh, Jeff should mention the KPK story. Um, lots of uh, skullduggery surrounding the KPK lately. Okay. Um, Plenty going on this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is plenty going on. Um, okay, the KPK story. Yeah, there's uh, multiple uh, court decisions um, hanging out there, all of which can affect uh, the election process, one of which is uh, whether the KPK is going to indict Anis Basweda on the opposition candidate for president uh, as a suspect of corruption in the Formula E race last year. Uh, and that led to a huge controversy that led to the sacking of Endar Priantoro, the director of investigations in the KPK. And uh, the police uh, disputed the sacking, uh, and Endar himself uh, appealed it in court. So that's one of these court cases away, underway in the administrative court of PTUN. But he also appealed to the Ombudsman Commission, a genuinely independent entity which is uh, responsible for investigating reports of maladministration. So. The ombudsman summoned KPK chair Fairly Bahuri to explain, as well as the KPK secretary general, and both of them simply refused to show up. And they disputed the authority of the ombudsman to scrutinize them, uh, claiming that this is a matter of human resource development, not a matter of public service provision, which is uh, bogus. So um, the KPK has become increasingly rogue, um, and uh, that, that alone is a worrisome factor compounded by the fact that the Constitutional Court chose to come out and extend the terms of the current KPK members. Uh, not based on merit, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> There were four years before. Yeah, and, and so Nurul Gufran uh, appealed last year to the Constitutional Court claiming that the fact that KPK members serve for four years while members of certain other institutions serve for five years is a violation of his constitutional rights and mm. it, uh, violates the principle of fairness. 
And the members of the Constitutional Court said, yes, that makes sense. So they uh, they approved. And so now um, the KPKM members have five-year terms. And uh, also the, the, the really beautiful aspect was that the uh, justices uh, said that the age limit in the KPK law of 50 years is unconstitutional unless it is to be read to be understood as an age limit of 50 years of age or already having served in the KPK. <laughs> and that, that's specifically designed to benefit precisely one person, which is Nurul Gufran, who will only be 49 when he uh, applies for another term on the KPK uh, later on uh, next year. So, uh, yeah, just Mickey Mouse. I think whenever we talk about the Constitutional Court, we should have some special background music, like a circus uh, song, yeah, you know? Yeah, like, like Yeah, Going rogue for what purpose? Uh, uh, politics. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's no longer independent, the, the KPK. Uh, Fairly Bahuri is an ally of uh, members of the administration. And so, um, yeah, his... Uh, uh, clear intention to indict Anis Baswedan. Um, it's uh, meant to protect uh, incumbents and then the status quo invested interests from potential threats of a uh, hostile administration taking over from Widodo. And no one, uh, oh, sorry, just about that. How's it looking? Does an indictment seem inevitable? Uh, right. So, Bahuri is able to has been able to do this clean sweep of uh, his opponents within the KPK's ranks, seemingly. So that would portend, yeah, that would bode ill for uh, uh, Baswedan. But at the same time, there are uh, advocates of you know, clean governance who are reporting fairly Bahuri for various ethics violations, which the KPK Oversight Board is examining at a very slow pace. So that could be a balancing factor that manages to pose some sort of check on Fairly Bahuri, potentially, uh, but probably not. So <laughs> yeah, I would expect the KPK to you know, pull best weight on in and, and interrogate him and at least make him look bad, at least generate headlines accusing him of corruption. Um, Rough him up a little bit. It's, it's all, yeah, yeah. Perp walk. Will, will he... Put on that orange uh, vest. Well, that would only be after an arrest. But um, yeah, you, basically, the, the KPK's actions are so irresponsible thus far that nothing is uh, beyond the realm of possibility at this stage. And probably would have lost quite a lot of credibility in the eyes of the public of just how you know significant would a questioning by the KPK uh, seem? Would it, it certainly wouldn't have the same clout legitimacy that it did say five years ago. No, but um, yeah, ironically, it, it could actually, this could backfire for uh, right. the Dodo administration because uh, there will be also plenty of voters who see through this as a you know, uh, thinly veiled form of meddling in the legal system for political ends. And especially, you know, the substantial swath of the electorate that supports Baswedan would really uh, become alienated from the political system. Dari Malut Kamalut is a weekly newsletter that has brought the best in news and analysis in Southeast Asia to thousands of inboxes for six years. Home to more than half a billion people and an emerging economic powerhouse, knowing the region is only getting more important. Dari Malut Kamalut 
helps you get across it. I love this newsletter and I, I love Erin. I love her passion and purpose for, for writing it. She's been doing this for a while now and it really comes across. She's just very committed and enthusiastic about the news and events here. I highly recommend this to anyone. Now, Reformasi fans have 25% off for the first year with any new annual subscription. Just head to dadimalut.substack.com slash Reformasi. I'll say that again. It's dadimalut.substack.com slash Reformasi. There was a, a golden moment there, Kevin, where uh, it looked like Indonesia was following along in the vein of some of the, of the Western European company, uh, countries, a lot of, well, a lot of Western countries where consumers could buy rooftop solar panels, not only to generate electricity for, for their own home, but to uh, sell a, any surplus onto the grid. It was sort of seen as a no brainer. It led to a new, a proliferation of uh, solar panels. You see them all over Europe and, uh, Indonesia was sort of following suit. There was, uh, there were stipulations at first that you could sell 100% of your surplus onto the grid. Then that was rolled back and rolled back because, well, that was costing the state-owned enterprise monopoly, PLN, share with them. Now, eating into their lunch. Uh, and then now it has been rolled back even more. Well, right, right back to zero. It feels very much like a step backward into a different era when we are more beholden to coal-fired power at any time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for a while, it looked like it was going to be a good situation and that uh, rooftop solar would be part of the clean energy solution. Plenty of uh, large residential homes in, on Java, especially around Jakarta, uh, lower price. Lots of sunshine. Panel. Lots of sunshine. So, but the uh, problem is PLN's uh, P&L. Um, they lose money to the vast bulk of their customers, uh, which are more than 65 million small households uh, nationwide. And they make money only on high-end households and commercial uh, customers and industrial enterprises. So if uh, those profitable customers all switched en masse to solar or rooftop, then PLN would uh, yeah, lose uh, profit and subsidies from the state budget would grow. Uh, so this uh, draft ministerial decree, which uh, could come out later this month, would end net metering and basically prohibit uh, the uh, selling of rooftop solar panel power generation onto the grid. Um, uh, you can still use it for yourself, but it's uh, necessary to get a permit. And the permits are subject to quota allocations the PLN will manage. Uh, and the applications have to go in during either January or July each year. So it's going to be tricky. I think industrial customers will still do it. There's still an incentive there. If, um, industry has large power use. There's still a possibility for payback and, um, you know, they can afford to make the switch, but for, uh, residences, it's not going to be remunerative anymore. Uh, so that that market will dry up if this uh, planned regulation goes through as expected. Yeah, it just it just feels like such a, an own goal. Um, but there's there are other uh, forces at play here, right? I mean, PLN, like all SOEs, have to show a profit. 
or else they risk uh, being accused of losing money to the to the state. Is it really a, is, is it really does it really come down to the to the PNL or is it a soft well, to vested interests or? Well, there's supposed to be uh, uh, policy making and uh, coordination happening at a higher level, but it's not. Uh, so, you know, PLN is doing what PLN's executives deem necessary to protect their PNL and avoid making losses because a state enterprise executive who presides over a loss is potentially subject to uh, allegations of corruption and incarceration. So it's right. not unreasonable, you know, to to um, you know. Ex- yeah, I mean, it's like it, shooting yourself in the it, foot. Why, why? Why would they do it? I mean, my God, really, even think about it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, this is where a minister needs to come in, or a coordinating minister to coordinate things, or the president to say that there's larger issues at stake here, and it's a matter of uh, weighing the pros and cons and, and finding another way to arrange matters. Uh, investment in the grid to be able to accommodate the fluctuating uh, input of electricity from solar panels is one necessity. That's that's a technical difficulty for sure, but that's surmountable. Um, you know, there's just a, this just shows a lack of uh, effort. Uh, to make a make a try at uh, uh, bringing about clean energy through rooftop solar, um, so it's going to make Indonesia look bad. Yeah, so it's not it's, it's not anything pernicious like a conspiracy among you know, coal mining coal mining company owning uh, cabinet ministers. It's just oh, well, you know the laziness yeah, could be a little <laughs> bit of that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's what I mean the, the, that that uh, higher level policy coordination is supposed to be done by ministers, and it so happens that numerous ministers in the Widodo cabinet have extensive interests in the coal sector, either in the mining or the generation of electricity. So they very much know what's at stake. Um, uh, the uh, the key market of Java Bali is in oversupply. So uh, anybody with a coal-fired power plant is kind of lucky to be making money right now to begin with. And, uh, you know, if there's a transfer of capacity uh, away from PLN towards rooftop solar in uh, you know, uh, a million or more residential homes on Java, then, you know, that's a loss for, for them. So yeah, it's, always, it's always a zero-sum game. The pie is always finite. Yeah. The pie is always finite. Of course, and there's a broader, broader issues here too. Um, Indonesia is meant to be uh, electrifying its uh, transportation. Um, and those rooftop uh, panels were part of a solution toward supplying renewable so electricity derived from renewable so- sources into uh, EVs, so electric vehicles. And now that that's gone, that's yet another, that's yet an, an, another avenue that's lost. And well, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it depends who's doing it. I mean, uh, if you have enough scale, it's still going to be um, profitable to install rooftop panels, uh, just provided you have a use for the power that you're going to generate. Uh, that's still possible. It's possible to go completely off the grid, so you don't even need uh, a permit from PLN, uh, I think, depending on the wording of this uh, regulation. Oh, wait, but, I thought you uh, needed a permit. Yeah, you do need a permit if you still want to be hooked up to PLN because the problem with solar is that at night, um, yeah. There's a certain <laughs> you lack of the light. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, so you need to switch on to the PLN then 
And PLN's going to say, wait a minute, you've got solar panels that you didn't tell us about. So no, you <laughs> electricity. Uh, so um, therefore, you know, a, a residents could buy batteries and uh, charge yeah. them during the day and use them at night. But that gets really expensive right now, unless the price of batteries comes down. That's still three or four years away, though, at best. Um, but I think what might be interesting is uh, you know, a house that wants to set up a different business can go off the grid, put in rooftop panels, buy a bunch of batteries, and during the day charge up these batteries for their own use, and then also uh, charge up batteries that it can rent to OJEC drivers. I think we've just had a little bit of a, a sketch of a business proposal there, listeners. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Go, go is that what <laughs> he's selling off. He's selling off reformatting weekly, and he's going to do this. No, not me. <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Um, now over to Gibran, which I find really interesting. That he's got a. He's urged a, a couple, a, a, more than a dozen or so allies to back Prabowo. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. Um and invited Prabowo to a restaurant in Solo <laughs> um, earlier this month. And there were also 15 representatives of various volunteer campaigner groups there. And they all pledged uh, their endorsement to Prabowo at this event. Uh, the very next morning, Gibran got a phone call from uh, the Secretary General of PDIP, Gibran's party and the party of his <laughs> father, Joko Widodo. Uh, summoning him to PDIP headquarters first thing Monday morning. Um, and then uh, Gibran sounded very defiant. And, and then he, he he went to that meeting and came out of it. And the reporters asked him, what did Megawati tell you? And Gibran said, she told me to be quiet. And then he proceeded to talk and talk and talk and talk. Um, so, uh, but uh, he also went and met with uh, Ganjar Pranowo um, the next day for dinner in a highly publicized event. Uh, thereby showing balance, at least. Uh, but this whole thing shows that these two presidential contenders are vying for the attention of Widodo and his family as a means of persuading voters that they are the ones who are best, most apt to carry on the um, uh, perceived successes of the Widodo administration. What kind of benefit could there have been for Gibran for acting in this way, sort of a roundabout endorsement? Uh, you know, a leg up, roundabout leg up for uh, Prabowo while um, uh, then having dinner with uh, Ganjar the next day. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, I'm guessing that Widodo himself is trying to straddle both of these camps, lest his pro-government alliance splinter and you know, down the middle. Mm. Widodo can do that. He can get away with that because he's the president and that gives him some leeway. Uh, but his son is trying to mirror the stance of his father and the son doesn't have nearly the same clout uh, as a mayor of Solo uh, and uh, 35 years of age. So um, uh, it's not really working. But there is another angle, which is that Gibran is uh, – possibly angling for a vice presidential nomination as Prabowo's running mate. That would require changing the 2017 election law. And lo and behold, uh, a, a small non-parliamentary party, which is very loyal to Widodo, which is the Solidarity Party, PSI, mm. filed an appeal to the Constitutional Court. Ring, ding, 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 ding,
<laughs> claiming that uh, the, uh, the age limit of a vice presidential candidate in the election law is unconstitutional. And therefore, uh, the uh, 35-year-old Gibran should be allowed to be the uh, candidate for vice president. I think so, we're going to get. Um, I th- think we're going to get Stephen yeah. to uh, dig up sound, some so- sound effects, like a kazoo or something, whenever you mention constitutional court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that'd be good. yeah, it's kind of a tongue twist constitutional court. So it's better if we just have a kazoo and just use that as to <laughs> signifier. Of the- they just go into a dark room and throw some pigeon bones up in the air and turn on the lights and see where they land. There you go. There's your judgment. (laughs) That would be better. (laughs) (laughs) And um, you wanted to talk about BTS and it's not the Korean uh, boy band. No. Yeah. My daughter will be disappointed or relieved possibly. But, uh, uh, yeah, this is the uh, Telcom Tower scandal, and uh, the Attorney General's office arrested Johnny Plate, the minister for supposed losses to the state of 8 trillion rupiah, which is quite a whopping figure, actually. And uh, he's from the National Democrat Party, NASDEM, of Sergio Paulo, uh, which uh, is a pro Widodo party, but it's the one that is backing Basuedan for president, making things very awkward. And uh, therefore, there's ample reason to suspect that the AGO is doing this for political ends to pressure NASDAQ or maybe uh, constrict the flow of any campaign financing that Plate may be or may have been providing. He's a career long executive and alongside uh, Reza Chalid, an oil importer who's uh, notorious for scandals that go back 15 years or more. Uh, so, uh, but the NASDAQ figures are all, uh, urging the AGO to fully disclose everything that happened. And, and that's interesting, uh, because it implies that there may very well be other, uh, interests, uh, who were involved in, uh, markups and, uh, kickbacks and, and payoffs in, in this, uh, giant 20 something trillion rupiah program to build telecommunication towers in remote areas. So it's your sense that uh, this didn't have legs, that there's, there's a lot more to come? Uh, no, because I don't think the AGO will <laughs> do what NASDAQ wants. <laughs> well, that, that, that uh, I meant that it's wide ranging, that, that there's a, a lot of potential. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I don't think it, I don't, I think basically the Widota administration is confident that they can keep a lid on it and uh, just do a, a surgical investigation that uh, affects Plate only. Uh, but, you know, uh, people in NASDAQ have other ways of revealing data and information. So, yeah, it could be wide ranging if disclosures come from uh, the NASDAQ side rather than from the AGO side. So there could be some embarrassing revelations about uh, figures from other parties or um, uh, other members of the cabinet. What's your view of the transparency, the cleanliness or otherwise of the Widodo administration now as we end? Uh, we're, we're in the final year. Uh, clean government? Uh, corrupt? Um, wh- where would you mark it on a scale of 1 to 10? 10 being yeah, the, the, the policymakers uh, opted for a presidential term of five years uh, with a two-term limit. And uh, in retrospect, it would have been better if it had been a, a 
term of four years. So uh, eight instead of 10. And both the Udiono administration and now the Widodo administration are tending to veer off the rails during their it's, uh, uh, final fifth year years in office. Um, the fifth year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gets you yeah. every time. Yeah. There's too many scandals and uh, too much interference in legal system institutions and uh, uh, disregard for uh, fundamental you know, delineation of the authority of institutions. Mm. And lastly, um, we were thinking about bringing in a new segment to the uh, show, recommendations. And you came across uh, a humdinger or a podcast that you uh, commend to the, to the listener. The uh, chameleon, yeah. About the, uh, yeah. The con queen, uh, yeah. yeah. Have we already done this? Yeah, that's right. And there's a uh, there's an Indonesian uh, journalist uh, Bintang Osmana who was instrumental in uh, finally solving this mystery that plagued people in Hollywood in the, in the movie industry for uh, I think it was about six years. Um, there was a, a con artist who was uh, luring workers in the Hollywood industry, like, you know, makeup artists, stunt persons, training, physical trainers, promising them great jobs for a movie being made in Jakarta with big name Hollywood producers and directors. And they would, they would fly out of their own expense, um, stay in a hotel and then get driven around by a driver, uh, who was uh, in league with this con artist and would have to pay some money to the driver for miscellaneous expenses, this, that, and the other thing. Sometimes uh, just a few hundred dollars, sometimes a couple thousand dollars. And then finally, they realized that the whole thing was a sham and there was no movie. And they just had to uh, yeah, go home and, and leave and go home. So it was a very retail-level con scheme. Yeah. And they only made a tiny bit of money off of every person con. It's artisanal. That's an, the, that's an artisanal con. Yeah. It's kettle. Yeah, and it went, but it went on. It was going on nonstop. Uh, you know, it, one person at any given time in Jakarta, maybe several actually, and it went on for six years. And the number of people in Hollywood who were affected by this was substantial. And the uh, the Hollywood con queen, you know, this uh, you know, had to have the voice of a woman, was uh, duping people. Uh, I don't want to give away any more spoilers though, but it was a um, it was a very good uh, podcast, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, you needed something for a long Very drive. Story. And, and so what, what, what's the name of the podcast again? What, one more time. The uh, Chameleon, because uh, the, the con queen, the con artist was able to uh, change their voice and, and uh, yeah, perform different characters. Okay, we're going to leave it there so far. No guest. Uh, this is the time. Until next week. So long. So long. And that's the pod. Our editing and sound engineering is done by Stephen Handoko. Our music is courtesy of the Blue Dot Sessions. For a free two-week trial of Kevin's Reformasi weekly newsletter, go to reformasi.info. You can support us by donating at buymeacoffee.com slash reformasi. Follow us on Twitter at reformasi underscore pod or email us the old-fashioned way at hello at onthelevel.id. If you're listening to us through a podcast app, Please subscribe. It's a big help. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.